You're listening to Tech Talks, the new podcast from Broadcast Tech. My name is Jake Bickerton, and I'm the editor of Broadcast Sport and Broadcast Tech magazines. In this episode, I'm joined by Jigsaw 24 sales director Rupert Watson and Richard Moss, managing director of Cardiff-based Posthouse Gorilla. We talk about how Gorilla has transitioned overnight from office-based to cloud-based remote home working during a pandemic. Richard starts off by talking about Gorilla's current use of inexpensive live streaming software, vMix. We're using vMix now. And ah, we're, yes. um, we're ISOing contributors' vision and sound, cool. and we can play in items for them to react to. I mean, that, that, that might be an interesting thing to touch on, because honestly, yeah. vMix, you know, four weeks ago, not yeah, to be yeah. too arrogant, you know, we wouldn't have touched it because you can't make any money selling it because it's it's what's it's, it's practically free. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and although we've got a few customers at the, if you like, at the sort of lower end of, of the sort of um, spectrum who used it, you know, we we wouldn't have engaged with it. So I don't know what it what it means for production quality once we exit all this. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's been going that way for a little while, hasn't it, with all digital platforms. I think, you know, as an industry, we always think everyone wants the best quality images and sound and stuff. But I think reality is people are well, quite happy. Actually, well, Mark from, Mark from Gallery, the, the, one of the developers at Siena, he put it best, I think, for me, was that um, when MP3 came out, uh, you know, you would have, you know, prior to that, you know, compressed audio, goodness me, no chance, you know, mm. but, but you sacrifice quality of convenience in certain instances and the fact that I could walk around with my entire record collection in my pocket meant that I was happy to listen to it as an mp3 Mm. because of the convenience well it's the same as it's the same as fixed rig isn't it you know anything Mm. that um suddenly has a use or it enables you to be able to produce something for a budget that normally Mm. wouldn't have allowed it suddenly it becomes useful yeah, yeah and, I think, and that's part of the fun, actually, of innovating. I yeah. mean, to, to be honest, I've, I've done more interesting stuff for the last three weeks than I've done in probably the last year. You know, I've, mm. I've discovered stuff. I've mm. talked to interesting people. I mean, I was looking at Deja Edit the other day. I don't know if you've seen that, Rich, but that's, I think that's stunning. Um, really clever use of, of kind of avid, product, uh, avid projects and, um, you know, remote editorial workflow. What does it enable you to do? So what they've done is they've created a, a structure within the Avid project that, that kind of effectively uses, if you like, post office box type of workflow. So you've got a kind of inbox set of bins and an outbox set of bins. And if you put them in the outbox, they, they synchronize with your, you know, the person downstream from you. Mm. And if you put them in, the in, in your kind of inbox, then they synchronize with the person upstream of you. So, you know, the DIT's got an outbox bin and the, the assistant editor's got an inbox bin and they're synchronizing and all the data's actually, and I think in a Wasabi um, S3 bucket, which is synchronized with the rubber drive at, you know, in, in Stockholm and a, and a rubber drive in Denmark and a rubber drive in London. Uh, and if you delete your rubber drive or, or, or flush it down the loo, you get a new one, you plug it in and it all synchronizes back down from the cloud again. Mm. So, and it's got a really, they've got a really tight workflow um, and they've got mm. some nice little bits of code working. It backs up the project to the cloud once every two hours and stuff. Do you think that's the best solution so far? I mean, how's that compared to the Avid Edit On Demand? What it means is, you know, kind of Bob, the famous editor, can be sitting with his GTEC or whatever local USB-C, USB-3 or Thunderbolt drive on his, you know, home rig, connected via a reasonable connection to the internet. Uh, and so, so kind of in the initial stage, you've got the DIT on set who's able to transcode and deliver the media to the cloud or, you know, onto a drive locally, which will synchronize up. 
they've got a, a post office box kind of activity going back and forth between the director, as it might be, and, and the DIT, or between the editor and the, and, the, and the set. So during shooting, they can do you know, a quick rough cut, synchronize back and forth, have a look, see what you make of it. Um, but then as things progress, you've got the kind of, I suppose, the inexpensivity of local drives or you know, the easy to understand the simplicity of that, but you've got the security of the cloud and the fact that you can fat finger an entire drive if you're a you know, remote editor in your kind of barn in, in, in Norway or whatever. And as long as you've got time, it'll resync back down from the cloud. And as rushes are added, they, they synchronize quietly in the background uh, and populate the media files folder. Whereas editorial on demand is all in the cloud yeah you, you've got a virtual yeah. machine which is a media composer you've got a virtual nexus which is um, in the cloud and you've got to get your media up there to kind of work on it you're one of the first organizations to commercially deploy avid on demand mm-hmm. um so what what made you look at that and what is it that is kind of most appealing presumably within the pandemic it's it's kind of accelerated that move has it well that was the interesting thing really because we were really looking into different remote options prior to the pandemic right. so timing wise it's just crazy i mean we started all of this kind of months before so looking at the pc over ip the amulets uh, your thin clients remote desktops and cloud solutions as well what attracted us more to edit on demand was um, uh, it's, it's, I think it's all part of a tool set that we can offer our clients really. We're not looking for a solution that will replace everything because every job, even during COVID now, is different. Mm-hmm. I think as Rupert mentioned, you know, you've got a, a craft scripted editor compared to five editors working on volume material with fast turnaround. Every instance of deployment is different. Mm-hmm. So the purely cloud deployment um, was something we just wanted to investigate. As a facility who owns a shared load of Avid storage on-prem, uh, immediately that would look not that attractive to me. It's a no-brainer for your offline, online kind of workflows. Mm. Can I ask a little novice question here? Um, how does Avid Edit On Demand compare to previous versions of media composers that have been in the cloud? To the casual observer looking over the shoulder of the editor, they could be forgiven for thinking they're running Media Composer properly because the PC over IP desktop client you know, presents a, a completely full screen experience. So right. you, once you're in, you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're you might as well be in Media Composer. Right. Well, and, and uh, our editors first um, uh, knew that they were doing some something remote, working with not the actual Media Composer sitting next to them, but they weren't actually aware that the storage wasn't connected uh, on-prem then. Mm. But that was really the, um, the, the shock, was the combining the storage and the actual edit system completely 100% in the, in the cloud. So the user uh, experience is very, very similar to being at a post house then? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, again, it's genre and editor specific. If you've got an absolutely fast editor that is used to doing an awful lot of tweaky, tweaky audio type of work, hmm. you know, scrubbing audio and, and really working with that, then, um, you know, I think um, it's there's an element of lag that isn't the same. Hmm. If you're actually, you know, cutting something fairly sensibly editorially and not getting into those fine, fine finishing points of, uh, of sound, then it's quite hard to tell. It, it really is. 
in, in an optimal environment, it's it's very close to the real thing. Rich, I'd like to ask you a question about um, the kind of, I don't know, the, the economics, I suppose, mm-hmm. of it. I mean, just, just, sorry, just to pop back, Jake, and explain that at the moment, the way editor on demand is available is... Um, it's entirely standalone in the cloud. So what you can't currently do, although this may change, is bridge you know, from your kind of real facility into the cloud and back again. So I think the idea of bursting, which I think was the initial attraction, or certainly for me, I, I imagine that being the first use case, which is, you know, well, here I am with my you know, on-premise Nexus and so on, and I'll buy a little bit of cloud editorial and storage when I need you know, to burst. Mm. That isn't how it's currently able to work. So you need a project that is capable of being self-contained editorially in the cloud. The commercial challenge for me is where it fits in as a toolkit with the rest of the facility it will certainly open up now the world of i really want that talent i've worked with this person they're really great before logistically well that wasn't really going to work was it now as a plus one yeah we've got four editors working here on prem i really want that person or that person or that person as well or working with it i think that's what the new norm will be do you think there'll be a kind of second phase where people go, right, okay, well, this, if this is how it's going to be, and it might be again, you know, potentially, you know, if we get out of lockdown and, and, and it kind of kicks off again, there may well be another lockdown kind of at you know, end of the summer or whatever it might be. Um, do you see there being a kind of, uh, I don't know, a sequence of people reassessing how they're doing the remote and maybe going about it slightly differently or, or augmenting, you know, improving the cameras, you know, sorting out the mics, that sort of thing. Yeah. Is, that, is that a kind of uh, an activity you see coming or not? I, I certainly do, and I and I think it is. You know, whether this becomes the new norm, it'll certainly become uh, an absolute thing that we will have to contingency plan for. Insurance companies and productions will lead this now, where there will have to be a plan for facilities in case something like this happens again. Um, therefore, we'll have to have something in place, and actually, that's where things like um, avid editorial on demand and things could come into play as well. Rich, can I ask what sort of content you're working on at the moment? Is it stuff that was shot before the pandemic or is it stuff that's happening now? It's it's material that we already had in, material that's still being sourced, um, high-end scripted, uh, volume, daytime. It's all happening. One thing that's um, on the commercial side that's been quite interesting is most of the new commissions that are coming in, let's call them the COVID-19 commissions, where, right, some program isn't being made, we need something else, mm. get the ideas in. Mm. They tend to be, and I, I'm seeing... Um, Uh, I don't think the broadcasters are are generally being brave enough to throw an awful lot of money at anything. So the commissions that we're seeing are low budget, whereas people are expecting to not pay an extra overhead for working remotely. So solutions uh, around uh, remote working that cost the same or less than is a very interesting commercial problem. As far as the productions are concerned, it's, ah, oh, we want to do the same as if we were with you for these deals, but everybody spread around everywhere. Please magically make that happen. Speed test. You know, that's, that's the biggest thing. If you've got crap internet, it points towards a different solution to if you've got great internet. And we are finding 50-50. 50% of the people working have great connections, fantastic. 50 have got really poor. And we're talking, you know, 20 to sub 20 kind of download speeds. Is it possible with all the different speeds that you're talking about with your 
your employees working with, is it possible to make it work in some way, shape or form, even with quite a slow speed broadband connection? Yeah, we basically got a sub 20, 20 plus, 50 plus. And, and okay. with that just gives more opportunities of what you can do. You know, we send out um, uh, basically a questionnaire um, that the editors fill in. Mm. Uh, we give them a download. Download this, please. Tell us your, um, your internet speed. Tell us what screens you've got, what screen resolutions you've got, uh, and, you know, what OSs you're running. Uh, and from that, it pretty much points to a solution. The idea that you, know, you can give a fixed quote for something that works in the cloud. Have you found egress charges to be a challenge or are they a fairly, you know, they're, are they a rounding error in essence compared to other, other costs? Well, to be honest, it's quite similar to archiving conversations with clients at the moment, end of edits. You know, right, we finished your job. Great, thanks. Uh, right, should we just burn all this media and projects? Would you like it? Now, often a lot of clients will already, you know, we've gone through this before. It's not a Does anybody say yes? <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely yeah. they do. Yeah, as long as I've got my, you know, my... Don't name any shows then. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, you, you, try to, you try to quote in. Of course, it's the same as ingress and outgress. It's, um, you know, yeah, we'll assume, you know, single cameras shooting four hours a day, five days a week for this at 50 megabits or 100 megabits equals X terabytes. You know, we do all these calculations. And, of course, um, it's pretty much mirrored for the archive side. What is the relationship between Jigsaw 24 and Gorilla? We use Jigsaw 24 for, you know, our kind of standard avid support and, of course, um, buy-in tin. But I think it's, you know, it's the relationship with people about trying new things and coming up with solutions. Hmm. That um, is why we have our, you know, the relationship that we have. Yeah, I mean, I think Gorilla have, have, you know, spent their entire careers on the cutting edge. We share a love of, you know, getting our hands dirty and finding mm. out kind of how far, you know, our curiosity and uh, yeah. and bravery will take us, I think. And uh, that's 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 ultimately, I think, what kind of can, you know, knits us all together. Nice one. And Cheers, Jake. Yeah, nice yeah, one. Great. Take care. And, and Thanks, yeah, Rich. Look yeah, nice one. Cheers, guys. Jigsaw 24 is our sponsor for this Broadcast Tech Talks podcast. Jigsaw 24 provide technical support for audio and video workflows, including hardware, software, and infrastructure. If you want to partner with us on a future podcast, please get in touch with Broadcast Tech Magazine's Richard Hughes. You can find his details on broadcastnow.co.uk forward slash tech talks.